Good morning. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, let me invite you to open with me to Matthew chapter 11. First book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 11. Today is an exciting day as we launch, start, restart, literally including children's, preschool, youth, college, adults, hundreds of small groups all across this faith family. And over the next eight weeks, we are going to be diving into a series, like Jim mentioned earlier, called Abide. What does it mean to abide in Christ? And our time in our worship gathering on Sunday mornings is going to supplement our time in small groups throughout the week. If you've not gotten involved, signed up with a small group, there's a table out there. You can find out more information about that. The whole goal is that those small groups will be walking through an in-depth study of John 15 and looking at truths that we're looking at on Sunday morning, and they're going to supplement each other as we look at what it means to be in Christ, walk with Christ, to be a disciple of Christ, follow Christ. And remember, I mentioned this at the end of our time together last week, the goal of this study is not just for us to know what it means to be in Christ or to know what it means to be a disciple or follower of Jesus Christ. The goal is for all of us to be equipped to lead others to follow Christ and to lead others to, to be in Christ. This is not, we're no longer living Christianity for self-consumption. The goal this morning is not for us to look at some truths in Matthew chapter 11 so that we can walk away and say, I'm glad that I learned that. The goal is for us to walk away from our time together this morning and be able to teach the truths of Matthew chapter 11 so that at the end of this series, after walking through eight weeks in this series, a whole faith family will be equipped not just to know what it means to abide in Christ, but to lead others to abide in Christ. A faith family of 4,000 people making disciples of all nations, equipped to do that. And so we are no longer receivers in this room. The end game is not just what's happening in this room. We are reproducers. The word is not stopping with us, it's spreading through us. The goal is that we would be equipped after our time together this morning. That's why you have the notes you have in the worship guide, and there's a lot of space in there this morning for you to fill in. The goal is not just for us to learn these truths. The goal is for us to be able to teach these truths tomorrow as the word spreads through us. So, you ready? Matthew chapter 11. We're going to focus on verses 28 through 30, but I want to start in verse 25 just to get the context of the passage that we're about to, to look at together. Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find Rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts to the mammoth truths 
comforting truths that you have given us in this text. And we pray that these words would hit home in hearts all across this room and radically transform our view of what it means to be called followers of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Those last three verses, verses 28, 29, 30, I'm convinced give one of the clearest, most powerful, most compelling, most beautiful pictures of Christianity, the way Jesus designed it to be. And at the same time, those verses give one of the most clearest, most powerful, most forceful rebukes of what we have created Christianity to be today. And what I want you to see, and I'm trying to keep things very simple in these notes, I want you to see two simple, life-changing truths that emerge from this text that I believe sum up what Christianity is, that depict the radical nature of Christianity and what separates Christianity apart from every other religious system in the world. And I want us to see two simple life-changing truths that I'm convinced we have a dangerous tendency to completely miss out on their meaning in the church today. Truth number one, we give up all we have to Jesus. This is Christianity explained. We give up all we have to Jesus. Now the imagery that dominates this particular passage is the picture of a yoke. And a yoke is a strong wooden, heavy wooden bar that is placed over an ox in order to allow that ox to pull a cart or pull a plow. And oftentimes a yoke could be singular, it could be placed on one ox, but then also, I want to show you a picture up here on the screen, you can, have, you can have a yoke that can be shared between two oxen, and basically you'd have one, one ox on one side and the other on the other side, and they would share the load together in a yoke like this. And if you had one, a yoke like this that was shared between two oxen, then basically the picture is one of those oxen would be, would be stronger than the other one. You'd have a, a weaker ox on one side, a stronger ox on the other side, and the stronger ox would be able to basically pull the load of the weaker ox. You'd have one ox that was more trained in the, in the commands of the master, that was more experienced, that was stronger, and as, as a result, the weaker ox would come in, and they would be able to accomplish more together, and especially for that weaker ox to be able to be pulled along basically by the stronger ox. And so you've got this picture of a yoke that dominates this passage. You've got that background, and then you come into the context here. And Jesus is speaking in the middle of the first century to a group of Jewish people who had been living under a very strict religious system, rigid religious system. They were surrounded by teachers of the law and Pharisees who interpreted the Old Testament law and basically put the law on the people and said, you need to do all of these things. Not only the Old Testament law, but they'd added 600 plus more laws that they needed to follow, rules and regulations. And so you had a people whose religion was dominated by all the things that they were supposed to do. And that's what he's talking about with this burden that's heavy, that's made them weary. You had people who were living under all of these rules and all of these regulations, and they never felt like they could measure up. And they were constantly getting more laws and more rules and more regulations put on them. In fact, hold your place here and just go with me over real quickly to Matthew 23. 
I want to show you how Jesus uses the same word that he uses for burden here in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Look at Matthew chapter 23. He uses the same word down in verse 4. Read with me the first few verses of Matthew 23. I want you to see how Jesus addresses the teachers of the law and the problems that were going on because they were overloading the people with the law. Listen to this. Matthew chapter 23, verse 1. It says, Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must obey them and do everything they tell you. But do not... Do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up, here it is, tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. And so that's the picture. You had a bunch of people that felt like heavy loads were constantly putting, put on their shoulders in their religious system. And Jesus comes to them and he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That's the context that he speaks these words into. He says, take my yoke upon you. Now, what does that mean? We give up all we have to Jesus. What does it mean to come to him and, and, and come under his yoke? Well, first of all, it means we give him the full weight of our sin. We give him the full weight of our sin. The picture you had in first century Judaism was as a result of all these laws and rules and regulations constantly being put on these people, they're constantly being reminded of the fact that they don't measure up. You had them constantly face to face with the fact that they couldn't do all of these things. And you had them feeling guilty, shame, because they never could fulfill these laws, never could live up to these rules and regulations. And the more laws, the more regulations that were put on them, the guiltier they felt and the heavier the load was. And all the religious leaders and teachers of the law were doing were piling on guilt on the people because they kept piling on more laws and more laws and more laws. When I read this passage, one of my biggest fears is that the church today is doing exactly what the teachers of the law were doing in the first century. When we did a study a few months ago on the effects of sin, guilt, shame, and fear, and I had the opportunity to go out on the streets of Birmingham and ask different folks of what they thought about guilt or what came to their mind when they thought about shame. You know what was interesting? Most often, it was amazing, the number of people who, when I said, what, what do you think of when you hear the word guilt? They, th they said the word church. So I think of church. I always feel guilty leaving church. I don't want to go to church, they said, because I constantly feel guilty when I walk away. And now there's a variety of issues to deal with there, but, but it got me thinking, and as I was studying this text this week, it made me wonder, if we in the church have not become guilty of doing the exact same thing the religious teachers, teachers of the law, were doing in the first century by piling on more things to do and more things to do and more things to do in order to live the Christian life and making people feel guiltier and guiltier and guiltier. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to remind you that if you have placed your faith, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ, you do not bear the weight of your sin anymore. 
He has borne that for you completely. He took the full weight of your sin and he nailed it to a cross for all of eternity. Psalm chapter 103, as far as the east is from the west, he has removed your sins one from another. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25, God says to you, I will remember your sins no more. He takes the full weight of our sin. This is what it means to come into the yoke. We give up all we have to Jesus. This is something we want to give up to him. We give him the full weight of our sin. And this is, this is the beauty of Christianity. We don't have to bear the weight of our sin anymore. And it's what Jesus is calling them to. But this is not where Christianity stops I'm convinced it's where most of our Christianity has stopped. Most of us view Christianity as giving Jesus our sin, and that's, that's it. The only problem is, what do you do now? Now that you've given Jesus your sin, how are you, you going to live your life? How do you live the Christian life once you've given Jesus our sin? If we stop there, we've still got a lot of questions unanswered. And we're missing out on a lot of what Jesus is calling us to. And so I want you to see that when we talk about giving up all we have to Jesus, being a follower of Christ, giving him the full weight of our sin, that's not where Christianity stops. It's where Christianity starts. The second thing we give him is we give him our complete and utter inability to obey God. Our complete and utter inability inability to obey God. I know that utter and complete mean the exact same thing, but I thought about putting three or four other words in there just to make the point. We need to get the point here. Complete and utter. Total. Absolute. Inability to obey God. The yoke in this passage that Jesus is talking about, that he's contrasting his yoke with, it all revolves around the Jewish law. You've got the law on you, he's telling them. But here's the deal. Jesus is not saying, don't miss this. Jesus is not saying the law is a bad thing. Jesus believed the law was a good thing. In fact, he said back in the Sermon on the Mount, remember, I came not to abolish the law, but to what? To fulfill it, to fill it up. The law is a good thing. Jesus is not saying, come to me. Because the law is not important, so you come to me and then live however you want. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, you come to me because you've got this law on you, and there is no way that you can fulfill it on your own. He says, you come to me because without me, you'll never be able to obey God, and you will never be able to please God. But the danger of Christianity, contemporary Christianity, is we think we can we think we can obey the law. We think we can please God. I'm convinced the majority of us who have come to faith in Jesus have taken it upon ourselves to try and live the Christian life on our own to the point that we are danger, in danger of missing the point of Christianity all together. Please hear me. Follow with me on this. You look at how we define the Christian life. 
most often we define the Christian life based on what we do. If you're a Christian, then you pray, you study the Bible, you share the gospel, you, you watch decent movies, you don't. You don't smoke, you don't use profanity, you don't do all the things the world does. This is what makes you a Christian. And the majority of us begin to believe that God's pleasure in our lives is based on what we do or don't do for Him. And if we do enough, then God will be pleased with us. And if we don't do enough or if we fail Him, then we have this sense that God is disappointed in us. Ladies and gentlemen, the, fa- the truth that we have got to come face to face with this morning, the truth that is the foundation upon which all of Christianity is based is this. You will never be able to please God with what you do. You will never, ever be able to please God with what you do. Legalism is living as if you can earn the grace and forgiveness and pleasure of God with your personal performance. And we, legalism is not just this this trap that a few people fall into. I think we fall into it all the time. I think we're all tempted to fall into it. It's this trap. It's kind of like the guy, you know the guy that used to be on TV that could spin all the plates at one time? He'd have all these little sticks or whatever they are and he'd spread them out on the stage and he'd get one plate spinning and he'd run over and get another plate spinning and then he'd have like five or ten plates spinning at the same time and he'd just go running back and forth. One was about to wobble, fall off. He'd get over there just in time and start spinning it again and he'd go, you ever, you ever, you ever feel like that in the Christian life? I got I to pray, I got to pray, okay, I got to study the Bible, okay, I got to do this in my home, I got to do this in my work, I got to do this over here to live the Christian life, I got to get all the plates going, we go from one plate to another trying to do all the right things that we're supposed to do as a Christian, don't you ever get tired? Don't you ever get weary of that? Now again, not saying that those things are bad, but living the Christian life Like we've got to do all these things in order to earn the pleasure of God misses the whole point. Running from plate to plate to plate. It's not easy trying to earn the pleasure of God with our performance. And the beauty of what Jesus is saying to us in Matthew chapter 11 verse 28 through 30 is that it's not the point of Christianity at all. It's not the point of Christianity at all. It was the curse of of first century Judaism, and I'm convinced it has become the curse of 21st century Christianity. Don't miss this. Ladies and gentlemen, the religious man or woman in this room who is trying to balance all these plates in order to please God is just as far from God as the atheist is. The religious man or woman in this room who's trying to please God by balancing all the plates is just as far from God as the atheist is. Let me give you, let me give you an example of how this thinking creeps in. Let me give you two scenarios. Imagine this with me, two scenarios. One scenario, your alarm clock goes off in the morning and you wake up immediately because you know you've got your quiet time ahead of you and so you 
get out of bed and you go and you spend some time in prayer and you spend some time in the Word and things are going good from the very beginning of your day and you're off to work from there. It seems like everywhere you go, you've got things planned out. The presence of God is so real in your life. Things are going well. You're walking with Him, living in communion with Him, and you get to the end of your day, and on your way home, you have the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody else. That's scenario number one. Scenario number two, the alarm clock goes off in the morning, and you hit it about six or seven times. Snooze, 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 until there's no chance you're having a quiet time. The morning is anything but quiet for you. You get up, rush, get ready, and you're off to work, and everything is disorganized. Nothing is working out the way it was supposed to. You're going throughout your day, and you don't have anything planned, and the presence of God seems anywhere but near your life at this point. It's nowhere close. You're running through, trying to get things done. Finally, you get to the end of an exhausted day. Some of you have been there this week. You get to the end. Some of you are there this morning. You, you, you get to the end of your day, and you head home, and on your way home, you have the opportunity to share the gospel with someone. Now, with those two scenarios, here's the question I want to ask you. In which, which of these scenarios do you think God is more likely to bless you in in leading that person to Christ? Our tendency is, the majority of us would say, well, definitely the first scenario. But why do we even think that? Here's why we even think that, because we really believe that God's blessing in our lives is somehow based on our performance during the day. Why would God be more likely to bless here than there? And our answer might be, well, because, because over here, I was walking with him over here. I just wouldn't feel worthy. I'd ignored him all day. I wouldn't be where I need to be spiritually in order to be ready for that. So he probably wouldn't use me as much. That is Hi, it's uncovering the hidden truth at the core of our Christianity that we have got to weed out this idea that God's blessing is based on our performance. It's not. It's not based on our performance. God's blessing in either one of these scenarios is based on his grace and nothing else. It's not based on what you and I have to bring to the table. The whole point of Christianity is the best we bring to the table is still not good enough. One Puritan preacher said, even our tears of repentance need to be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. The whole point of what Jesus is saying is you spend your entire life trying to measure up and trying to follow the law and trying to do the right deal to follow after God and please God and you will fall short every single time. Listen to the words of Ian Thomas. These words pierced me as I read them this week. I'm talking, Ian Thomas said, I'm talking about some Sunday school teachers. I'm talking about some pastor in his pulpit. I'm talking about some missionary on the field. I'm talking about many ordinary, average, earnest Christians. They are wonderful people. You would love to meet them. They talk all the language of salvation, and they mean every word they say. They are not hypocrites, but they are tired Many of them desperately tired. They are overwhelmed inwardly with a sense of defeat and frustration and futility and barrenness. 
Story after story could be told of these men and women who bravely, doggedly, out of a sense of duty, love, and devotion, go on and on and on, yet deep down in their hearts, they're tired. Again and again, they have got down by their bedside and cried out to God with tears in their eyes, God, you know how barren I am. You know how empty I am. You know how stale I am. You know it. And yet they do not know the answer. He continues on. Listen. He says, this is the curse of Christendom. This is what paralyzes the activity of the church of Jesus Christ on earth today. In defiance of God's word, God's mind, God's will, and God's judgment, men and women everywhere are prepared to dedicate to God what God condemns, the energy of the flesh. There is nothing quite so nauseating or pathetic as the flesh trying to be holy. Ladies and gentlemen, the whole point of Christianity is that we have given Jesus our complete and utter inability to obey God. We can't do it. So stop believing that you can measure up and do enough to please and obey Him. Stop fighting the battle that you will never be able to win even though you fight it your entire life. You will never be able to win. Stop fighting the battle that praise be to God. He has already won for you. You don't have to measure up to the law because He measures up to the law. You don't have to obey God, learn to obey God, and try to obey God, and try to do all the right things because He has already done that. He has accomplished it for you. And the whole point of Christianity is coming to Him and giving up all we have and saying, I can't do it. And, and as a result, we no longer have to come into this setting and ever, not once, think that God is disappointed in us because God has taken all of your sin and all of your inability to please Him. He has nailed it to a cross. And when He looks at you, He sees you, not disappointed in you, but He sees you and delights in you, not because of one ounce of your performance this week, but all because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, His Son. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It's not about what we bring to the table. It's about what he brings to the table. We give up all we have to Jesus. We can't do it. And the beauty of it is, second truth, Jesus gives up all he has to us. He gives up all he has to us. Listen To what he said, he said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart. This is the part that's always confused me about this text. If Jesus is trying to free me up, then why is he putting another yoke on me? The whole point is I don't need anything else on me, right? Remember back to the picture we've got of the yoke and we've got stronger ox and weak ox. Now see it. You've got the one whose strength is infinite and perfect and the one who knows intimately the commands of the master and the one who is experienced in obeying them to the very end. He is the one who is inviting you to take his yoke upon yourself. You come into the yoke with me and see 
that the stronger ox now makes it possible for the weaker ox to produce all that he does. It's all based on him being in the yoke. Jesus gives up all that he has to us. What does he have for us? Number one, it goes back to the full weight of our sin. Number one, he gives us full pardon for our sin. The standard of God is perfection. The standard of God is perfection. Don't miss this. It's not that Jesus had standards that were lower than the religious teachers of the law. His standards were higher than the religious teachers of the law. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. My standard is perfection, Jesus says. Not one person will ever enter the gates of heaven who does not live up to that standard. I don't, I don't care how great a father or mother or husband or wife we have been, how much money we have or how great a life we have lived, we will never be able to live up to that standard. And if we stand before him on that day apart from Jesus Christ, then all the things we have done in this world will fall miserably short of the standard that God has set for acceptance in his presence. But the beauty of it is, in this passage that is showing us we can't measure up and we can't do it, it's also showing us a God who became flesh and came down to dwell among us and he himself picked up the Old Testament law and he carried it. And he was tempted in every way, but he never dropped it once. He was pressed in on every side, and he never dropped it once. He was weakened in every way the world could weaken him, yet he never dropped it once. He perfectly fulfilled the Old Testament law. So when you stand in the yoke with him, and now you're before the Father in heaven, Jesus says, he's with me. And you get in based on the perfect standard of Jesus Christ. He gives us full pardon for all of our sins. Praise be to God that through the work of Jesus Christ, his perfect life, and then his death for the burden of all of our sins, yours and mine, on a cross, that he rose from the grave, and as a result can say to us, you are not guilty anymore. You're pardoned forever. He gives us full pardon from our sin, and that leads us, leads to, results in peace with God What's interesting is he uses the word rest twice. He says, come to me all your weary, heavy burden, and I will give you rest. The first time he uses that word, rest, it literally means relief, almost like a sigh of relief, rejuvenation. Ah, you can find rest in the love of God. That's the picture. You find rest. It's the same picture in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified, justified, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We have peace with God. We don't, we don't have anything separating us from God anymore. Jesus has given us full pardon for our sin. Hope and pray that truth rings home. It's a reality for those who are ridden with guilt this morning. He has given us full pardon for our sin. When we trust in him, we come to him. But we've still got our complete and utter inability to obey the law. So what does Jesus do with that? He gives us his complete ability to obey the law. His complete and total ability that belongs to Jesus, he gives us in order to enable us to obey 
God. This is what Jesus gives us in return. Now, this is where it gets really beautiful. Listen to this. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble and heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That word learn there, learn from me, it's the same word that's translated disciple in Matthew 28, later in this book, make disciples of all nations, what we talk about all the time, same word is here. So basically, take my yoke upon me and learn from me, learn to be my disciple. And he says, I'm gentle and humble heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. This is a, it's a pretty astounding truth that Jesus is saying here. You learn to be my disciple and you will find rest for your souls. There is no other religious teacher in the history of the world, no other teacher at all, that would equate learning with complete and total rest. How many of the students who have gone back to school over the last few weeks would say, now that I'm back in school, I just feel so relieved and so rested Finally, I've got rest for my spirit, my mind. I feel so rested. That's not what we feel when we're learning, when we're studying, when we're following. I was preaching at a, at a seminary this last week, and I was walking on campus, and I saw seminary students with Hebrew flashcards trying to memorize. There was no rest in their eyes. There's no rest anywhere near them. It's not rest at all, no relief. That's not the picture that was there. I remember right after I, uh, right after I finished my PhD and I'd gone to Heather's school where she taught and I was going to read to her class and I looked at these sweet little four-year-olds and Heather had stepped out of the room for a second. I just looked at them and I said, I, f- I feel somewhat sorry for all of you. <laughs> these kids are looking at me and I said, You've got 20 plus years of this ahead of you. And I'd, I would not trade play. And in fact, that time Heather walks back in. She's like, David, what are you saying? Nothing, nothing. <laughs> Here's the beauty. Don't miss this. How can Jesus say, take my yoke upon you. You learn from me and you'll find rest for your souls. Because here's the beauty of Christianity. This whole picture of him giving us his ability to to obey God, to please God, when we join in the yoke with him and we learn from him, what are we learning to do? We're learning to trust in him and not in ourselves. And as a result, slowly, surely, we are relaxing in the yoke and learning to let Christ do in us what all along we've been trying to do for ourselves. Now, rest in Christ is becoming a deeper and deeper reality on a day-by-day basis. Why? Because we're learning to let go of the strain of trying to do this Christian life on our own, and we're learning to let Him do it for us. This is huge. It doesn't mean, Dave, are you saying that we sit back and we don't do anything? Absolutely not. This is not a passive picture. It's learning. It's following. It's, it's going after the law. It's not, okay, the law doesn't matter anymore, which is what many people have done. And the emphasis that the church has had on legalism, they say, well, we don't need to follow the law. On the contrary, we're now free not to forget the law. We're free to obey the law. And now we have in us Christ himself who enables us to follow the law. Here's the beauty here. Jesus is not 
The reason he can give us rest is because he's not giving us, here's the rules, here's the regulations, here's the laws, here's the commands, now follow them. Instead, the beauty of Christianity and what makes Christianity not just another religion, not just another ethic that we live up to, this is the picture of Christ himself in us, enabling us to follow the law, enabling us to please God, enabling us to obey God. And now, when we live our lives and it's Christ in us, living through us, then we bring great glory to our Father. Because he's doing it in us. And it's all saturated in Christ. And the one who's giving us the grace moment by moment, day by day, there is nothing, absolutely nothing in your Christian life that you are intended to do on your own. It's all intended. Every single prayer we pray, every single step we take, every single thought is intended to be saturated with Jesus Christ. And the picture of being in a yoke with him is he, he takes over more and more every day and we find more and more rest in him every day. Do you want this? this is the picture of coming into the yoke with him Martin Luther said it best he said here the bottom falls out of all merit all powers and abilities of reason or, of, or the free will men dream of and it all counts nothing before God Christ must do and must give everything he does everything it's the same picture when you look back in verse 25, remember when he said, Father, you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and you've revealed them to little children? We see that imagery all throughout the New Testament. It's not the wise people who have everything this world has to offer. It's the foolish who experience God. It's the poor in spirit who experience God. Little children. Does that mean if you're smart and you can't follow Jesus? No, absolutely not. But it means you've got to come to the end of yourself where you realize it's not about what you bring to the table. It's about what he does. It's the same, this picture of little children. My little son, Caleb, has traveled all around the world in his short few months on this earth. And even since coming back, he's traveled all across Birmingham and all across the United States. But the kid can hardly walk. How can he travel all of these different places? Because everywhere he goes, he goes in the hands of his father and his mother. They take him everywhere he goes. He's a hoss and he's getting heavy, but we still take him everywhere he goes. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> the baggage we bring to the table is certainly heavy. And Jesus Christ is certainly able to pick us up and take us everywhere he desires for us to go. What? happens when Christianity becomes a journey by which Christ carries us instead of us trying to carry ourselves. You have been freed from that obligation. He's freed you up. One writer put it this way, it's when the soul becomes utterly passive, looking and resting on what Christ is to do, that its energies are stirred to their highest activities and we work most effectively because we know that he works in us. What happens when a faith family of 4,000 people stops trying to do it on our own and lets Christ and his yoke do it through us and for us? I believe he carries us to places we never could have fathomed before. And the result of him giving us his complete ability to obey God, the result is the peace of God. Don't miss it. The one who 
who calls you to be righteous is now living righteously through you. The one who calls you to preach the gospel in all nations is now preaching the gospel in all nations through you. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. And he gives us the peace of God. The second time he uses the word rest, he says you will find rest for your souls. It's the picture of the Hebrew shalom. This existential peace, this pervading peace, this eternal peace that comes in trusting in Christ and walking in Christ. That comes when we let go of ourselves and we let Christ do what only he can do through us. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For listen to what the sovereign creator of the universe and the flesh says. He says, I am gentle and I'm humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Do you want that? Then give him the full weight of your sin and give him your complete and utter absolute inability to obey God and please him. And let him give you all that he's got, full pardon for all your sin. And his very own ability to please and obey God. And then we will be on the way to experiencing what it means to be in Christ. Will you bow your heads with me? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want us to do something a little different to respond to the word today. I'm guessing that across this room there are people who are weary and burdened that you feel weighed down trying to keep all the plates spinning in your life, in your Christianity. And I want to urge you this morning to say to him, I want your rest. I'm ready to give up. For some of you, that's the first time you might say that. There are many of you, and don't miss the danger of this passage. Please don't miss the danger because we can carry on in our religion and never enter the yoke of Christ and miss out on the whole point of Christianity, yet be in church every single Sunday of our lives. And I want to ask you first and foremost, all across this room with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, do you know that you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, do you know that you are in the yoke with Jesus? Not asking what your spiritual resume is, not asking all that you've done that misses the whole point of Christianity. Are you in the yoke with Jesus? And if you're not, then this morning, I want to urge you in just a moment when we begin to respond to say, I want to be in the yoke with him. For the first time today, I want to give 
him the full weight of my sin and my complete and utter inability to obey him and let him transform me from the inside out. I want to invite you to enter the yoke with him. Or second, if you... If you're here this morning and you are a Christian, you know you're in the yoke. And we know that Scripture teaches once we're in the yoke, we don't leave the yoke. But for some reason, it's been a major strain and you've been trying to do all these things. And I want to invite you this morning to say, I want to relax in the yoke. Maybe for the first time in a long time. I want to trust in Him. What I'm going to do is I'm going to invite us to a time of prayer and as we are praying together and these guys are going to sing over us I'm going to invite people all across this room who need to enter in the yoke for the first time or maybe relax in the yoke for the first time in a long time if you'd like to come down here to the front and to kneel here or to talk with somebody who's here I'm going to ask church leaders to be available here at the front to pray with you and I want us to be a people who come to Jesus weary and burdened and find rest for our souls in Him. So after I pray, we're just going to continue an attitude of prayer all across this room. And I'm going to invite people to come down here and to kneel or to pray with one of these church leaders at the front and say, I, I need to take the yoke of Christ upon me. I want Him to take the weight of my sin and my complete inability to obey Him. Father, I pray that you would bring rest for souls all across this room this morning, that you would draw people to yourself. And God, I pray that the result would be burdens and heavy loads lifted, that we would no longer feel the weight of trying to even live out the Christian life on our own, but that we would trust you with that. And we pray that you would supply us with all the grace that we need to let go of ourselves and trust in you completely. And invite church leaders to go ahead and make themselves available here at the front. This altar is open. These guys are going to sing over us. Let's find rest for our souls in him. You come as God leads you.